Welcome to Ambitious with Dylan Price. I'm Dylan Price, and joining me today is Max Valverde. Max is one of the most talented and really well-rounded individuals I've been able to stumble upon on social media, and now able to kind of get a sense of all the projects you've been involved in, and you kind of epitomize the definition of ambitious. So I'm very excited to have you on for today's episode, and how are you? Doing great. Thanks, Dylan, for having me on. Very excited to be here. I'm doing great. Just, uh, you know, between Christmas and New Year's here, don't have childcare for the three kids, so still trying to fit in some training. Um, so, yeah, heading out in a little bit to try to beat the storm that's coming into Park City. Um, but, yeah, things are going great. Well, glad to hear it, and uh, hopefully you are able to brave that storm and get out there. But I guess that's really the first place to start is your training. So could you kind of take people through your story a little bit and – Explain what training you're kind of doing for this uh, schemo challenge to possibly try to make the Olympics. Yeah, I'll give you the kind of the quick little rundown. So I uh, was a co-founder of a software company. We sold it. Um, and basically after we were done with the company, I was looking at what to do next. You know, do I start a, another software company, a little private equity firm using some of the skills that I acquired during the acquisition, we were, my family was uh, in a financial position where I could kind of do whatever I wanted for a little bit, at least. Um, so, you know, then we moved to Park City uh, for kind of general mountain life, you know, for mountain biking, skiing, um, and, you know, a great place to raise our three kids. Um, our kids today are uh, almost three, five, and, and seven. So, you know, we're just having a great time in the mountains, taking some time off. And then got into backcountry skiing a lot, which is, for people who don't know, skinning up the mountain and then skiing down. So you put kind of these things called skins on the bottom of your skis that are almost like little felt, like one-way felt things with glue on one side, almost like a little carpet. And it allows you to walk up the mountain. So you walk up the mountain, you rip them off at the top, change your boots and bindings a little bit, and then ski down. And it's incredibly fun. It's kind of like mountain biking. It's kind of like hiking. Um, you get to explore the mountains, you know, outside of the ski resorts. So that was super fun. And then someone's like, yeah, you know, it's going to be in the Olympics in 2026. And, uh, you know, I just kind of got this weird thought in my head that like, you know, if I needed to do this for my family, there's, there's no, ch no, no chance I wouldn't make the team. So then I started to kind of like, using it like a little inception in my brain, like, well, wait a minute, if I know that I have it in me to do something crazy like that, what's the matter? Like, I just don't have intrinsic motivation for myself to be able to kind of work hard. So I looked into the training and what the training is for an endurance sport is basically just a ton of volume. So I'm used to playing football, basketball, baseball, tennis, growing up where, you know, if you're not dry heaving or throwing up or, you know, killing yourself on a workout, it's not working. So I found out that like, oh yeah, to train for an endurance sport, you just at least 80% of your time is in zone two. So your heart rate is a low heart rate. So in the summer I mountain bike and I'm just kind of going on, I've worked my volume up. I wanted to get to 30 hours a week, which is like a super high pro level of, of cardio. I started at 10 hours a week. And my coach started working it up. I'm up to like 20, 22 hours a week now. But yeah, I just spend like four hours a day in the mountains playing and, you know, relatively low heart rate. Like consider it like a slow jog 
um, is, is what I do for four hours. So I'm not killing myself and allows me to do it day in, day out. I train five days a week during the week. It's like my job. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a fun thing. And, you know, the, the saying in Spanish is like sin vergüenza, like I have no shame, you know, like if I come in last place, it's totally fine. I'm just doing it because I love the journey. I love playing in the mountains. It gives me something fun to do with a fun goal. And it also allows me to do something where I can show my kids that you sell a company for a bunch of, a bunch of money that like, you don't have to then retire and, you know, play golf and drink beer all day and be kind of like a loser. Um, so that's the long and short of it where I'm at right now. So most people's midlife crisis per se here is usually like go out buy a motorcycle or go get a new tattoo and do these things to try to feel younger. And you decided to maybe try to become an Olympic athlete and put yourself on this training regimen, which this is a sport that at the very least you've grown a lot of notoriety too by getting more involved on social media and doing this. But what kind of and obviously you're a businessman as well, which we'll get into, but what kind of ticked in your brain where most people say, yeah, you know, I could be an Olympic athlete. I think if I put in those efforts and had those resources, I could be an Olympic athlete. But what took you the next step further of saying, you know what, I'm going to try to do it. I'm really going to try to pick this next step. Great question. And I've actually tried to answer this myself. I don't know if I have a succinct answer for you, but it basically, you know, I was uh, like the captain of the football and basketball, uh, basketball team, but I wasn't like the best. There was at least, you know, eight to 10 guys who were just way better athletes than me. Um, I always kind of tried really hard. I was like the Rudy guy. Um, but basically, I always kind of wondered about these sports that have kind of a smaller pool of athletes. I knew that I could never be, you know, the winner in the 400 meter dash or the, you know, anything like that because the, the, the applicant pool is so large. Those, they're, if you just go to any school in Idaho or Iowa or Wisconsin, you know, wherever, Florida, and you just happen to be the fastest kid, people will know about that. You will maybe get pushed towards the track and field team. But I kind of wondered, like, man, some of these, these semi-obscure winter sports, the, quote, applicant pool is only like a 1,000 people. So I wonder what, what that would be like. So that's kind of one little thought. Another thought was, well, I never really devoted my life to sport. And I think a lot of pro athletes or a lot of the best spend a lot of time training. And I was just kind of more into being a well-rounded, balanced sort of like, you know, kid who tried to go to a good college and, you know, build a good company and build a family. And, you know, I, I couldn't even imagine when this level of training could have ever fit into my life. So then... Fast forward to, you know, a year ago, now I have all this time and the, I started doing some research on, you know, athletic prime and a lot of, you know, the athletic prime for different sports varies based on how you use your body. But for kind of what I'm doing, there's some competing estimates, but like maybe like the prime is like 30 years old, you know, maybe you could push it to 35, but let's say the prime is 30 years old. Then even then they say, you know, you drop maybe a percentage of maximum whatever per year. The thing is, I was never even close to that athletic prime. You know, I never have never experimented with, well, what happens if you actually trained 30 hours a week? I don't know. It just kind of like it kept whispering in my brain that like I truly believed and I still believe that there's like 
at least a 1% chance I can pull this off. So for me, and something I want to also show my kids is like, that's enough. You know, I you don't need to have like uh, a sure thing, you know, especially if you have your life kind of sorted, you know, you're financially sort of stable. That's also how I was able to join the company Fair Harbor. I had started this other company, was on Shark Tank, worked to reduce our expenses, and over like three or four years was able to kind of basically live off my wife's salary. I had helped pay off all of both of our student loans, both of our cars. with, And so we kind of worked towards that for three years, was able to take that jump. It was, you know, it, it was kind of risk-free for my family. So why not take a leap and try to do the company Fair Harbor? Same thing with the schema thing. The family's in a good position. Why not take that leap? What's the worst case scenario? You know, I come out of it in great shape. Um, I, and... You know, I got to play in the mountains a bunch, you know, so some people maybe aspire towards goals and are so goal oriented that, it, it, you know, it's whatever that saying is like win or bust or like if you don't win, like you're, you're a loser. That's not really how I'm looking at it. It's like this is a fun thing. I think that there is a slim chance I could pull this off. So why not go for it and see what happens? So. And I guess this is the really cool way of thinking about that, or that's a really cool way of thinking about things, because as I kind of mentioned, this predecessor, that answer was a lot of people have that thought and kind of bury it down or eventually one day are like kind of holding those regrets in and saying, oh, maybe if I had given it a shot. But there's also a saying that says there's the scariest person in any competition is the guy who has nothing to lose. And you're doing this for yourself. You're doing this to prove something to your kids. And at the same time, you have these people who are devoting their lives to it and have done it a little, maybe a little bit longer, maybe a little more extensively. So now you go into these competitions. What is the reception you get going in and kind of competing with those kind of people? And what kind of results have you had so far going head to head with some of these competitors? Well, so I've never gone against the okay. the people on Team USA, the World Cup guys. I can see basically how I sort of stack up on Strava. Um, I'm still probably like if I could, you know, I'll just make up some numbers. If I can do something, actually, these some of these are real numbers. If if I can do something in five minutes, they can do it in under four, like three fifty. So, but with that said, last year that five minute thing took me nine. And then it took me eight. And then earlier this, like a month and a half ago, I did it in six. And I've gotten it down to five. Now that last minute could be something I can, ne- I can never close that gap. These guys are absolutely insane athletes and total respect to them. This isn't like, I don't want to make whack any other sports. Um, like on this TikTok and Instagram I did, I, I you know, I said uh, something like, this isn't like your curling beer league. Um, and you know, the curling community was kind of upset about that. So I take that back. What I meant to say was curling is a game of skill, like golf, Mm -hmm. where schemo is truly like, you need to build almost a lifetime of aerobic endurance to be able to do some of this stuff. So all I'm saying is it's a, it's one of the most cardio intensive sports I could have chosen. With that said, I just can't get over the fact that it, it still is a small sport and all these absolute animals that I have total respect for on Team USA have jobs. They have, uh, 
you know, they go to school. Some of them are, are still in, in college or high school even. Um, and they have other commitments. I don't. I can train more hours than them. They're at a much better starting point, given the fact that they've likely been doing endurance sports for 10 years. And they're just in way better shape than me, even still after training you know, as much as I've trained. But my hope is like, even if I don't make it, to by growing the TikTok and Instagram channels, bring awareness to the sport um, for a couple of reasons. One, let's say I do pull a rabbit out of a hat and make the Team USA, which will only probably have two American male spots. Slim chance, if I do, and let's say we get there another, like one in 100,000 have a good outcome at the Olympics. How sad would it be if, because schema was a provisional sport, no one really knows about it. doesn't even get any airtime. I come in fourth in the world, one in a million chance, whatever. Come in fourth. No one cares about it. No one knows. And then in 2030, schema is gone and it doesn't happen at all. You know, Or I grow a following on TikTok and Instagram where you know there's maybe 100,000 people watching, a couple hundred thousand people. Who knows how big I can grow that channel? Everyone knows about the sport. Everyone's stoked on it whether it's me or someone else on Team USA, some of these guys are absolute animals that have spent so much time, more than I have, on it to date. Let's get them a good platform where people know about the sport. I could maybe possibly be an ambassador for the sport to just kind of let everybody know about skinning or schemo. Because anyone who's come to visit us in Park City over the last year, I take them up and they lose their mind at doing this. Most, a lot of people have skied before, but most people have not skinned. And so they say, wait a minute, I go on these four-day ski vacations and I'm a fit person who likes cycling or whatever I like to do. Let's go skin up the mountain. I'll take you up. We walk up the mountain, very chill, like not, not sweating, not dying, well, maybe a little sweaty, but not like dying. You walk up to the top at six in the morning. Right as you get to the top, you transition your skis. The sun's coming up. And you get fresh tracks on wherever you are, whether that's in the backcountry and a foot and a half of powder or skiing down a groomed run that the groomers just did because you're allowed to skin up in the resort before they open. So that's kind of my hope is just to kind of grow this, grow awareness for the sport at the very least. Um, yeah. So now kind of looking towards the competition coming up, the championships are in March. Is that that's also where you would have the shot to qualify for the Olympics, correct? No, so what it is is well, the the, champ, the national championship is in March. Okay, and it's this year the race is it's the powder keg. It was last year as well, and there's a sprint race that I'm looking at and see if I can qualify for Team USA, which is not the Olympics yet, and that would just be like being on Team USA. You can then go to Europe and compete because the schema is actually quite big in the Alps in Europe. Like some of these guys, these American uh, schema World Cup guys, like Cam Smith, will go over there and he's like a celebrity. He gets off the plane and they're like, oh, Cam, like this guy is like, no one knows who he is, except for maybe in Breckenridge, people might know who he is. Like you go get off the plane and, you know, and, and drive over to Chamonix and people like know who he is and stuff. So, but anyway, so yeah, so that's Team USA. There's maybe, I don't know, I don't, I don't, go check me on this, but like 15, 20 people on it. 
maybe maybe 30 men and women, so so 15 each, maybe 20 each. Um, and that ranges from, there's different levels. There's like under 18, there's like under 23, then there's like seniors, which is like the adult category. So there's all kinds of people on Team USA and you got to qualify in the national championships. Last year, what it was, I don't think the, the requirements have come out, but last year what it was is if you come in top four on one of these races, like you, you're on Team USA for that. So even to make that would just be insane. There might be 100 people, 200 people on the race. You know, if I come in like 200th, then maybe I'll just stop doing this. If I come in like 99th out in the country, if I come in top 30 in the country, I mean, that's a huge outcome for me in one year. And then I'll just see where I get next year. I think coming in top four, just knowing who the people are, I mean, just they're absolute animals. So I'm going to go for it, see what happens, but that's that's this year. Then next year, you can qualify again for Team USA. And then the Olympics, there's only going to be at most two male and two female athletes from each country. So if you think about that, to make the, the Team USA is going to be like 15 to 20 men. To make the Olympics of that, you have to be the top two of those 15 to 20. And then even then, it's not really guaranteed that you get in because so basically I think I'd need to maybe make Team USA ne by next year to then compete in Europe and then have a decent outcome in Europe in two years and then could possibly represent um, us in, in the Olympics. The, the thing that my coach always says is like, have a goal, create a plan, forget the goal. Because the hardest part for me was like, I'm a very kind of pumped up, motivated, kind of like Rudy kind of guy, like, let's go, like get fired up. Well, it's hard to put in 20 and then hopefully next year, about 30 hours a week of cardio to get pumped up because it's not always unicorns and rainbows. Like there's going to be some serious like low points. It's raining out. It's cold. I don't want to do this. So it's kind of like just getting used to getting into the zone of like, also, progress happens slowly. For the first month, I'm like talking to my coach. I'm like, dude, I am working out five times as much as I ever have. Let's see some results. Can I go sprint some segments? He's like, bro, chill out. Forget about the, the thing. Just trust me and just go through this process. So that's all I'm doing. I'm not going like, to put too much weight on the national championships in March. Um, but it'll be really, really exciting to see how I stack up against everybody out of like 200 people. Am I 150th or am I like 80th or am I like 10th? So it'll be fun. So you mentioned the 30 hour a week and putting on this insane train regimen training measurement in the past year and putting your all into, okay, do I have this shot at it? Okay. Can I become one of the top in the country and maybe even in the world and also still balancing fatherhood and having a three-year-old, a five-year-old and do you say a seven-year-old? Yeah. So how is the balance in kind of trying to still be, as you said, you didn't have the childcare right now. Like, how do you kind of walk the line of still putting forth this crazy output on the slopes, but also at the end of the day, still managing three kids under the age of yeah. eight? Great question. So yeah, I mean, I'm super fortunate with the, the company that I'm able to do this as my full-time job. So that's kind of where the, the name on the Instagram or TikTok comes from, dad bod goes pro. 
is that I'm treating this as if I'm like becoming a pro athlete, which I, again, quick sidebar, what I'd like to do is grow awareness for the sport that USA Schemo actually grows enough so that there's enough support that all these absolute savages like Cam Smith, John Gaston, Adam Loomis, like all these guys could maybe be, be like pro, full pro, like with, like in, in Italy, I believe anyone on like Team Italy gets like a stipend, gets paid by the, the schemo, I don't know, what, what the equivalent of whatever USA schemo is. And they get, you know, all their flights paid for, they get a little stipend so they can like be like fully, you know, pro where they don't need to have another job. This is their job. So I'm fortunate enough where I'm able to pretend that that's what I'm doing. So just like when I had the company where I was a CEO and working, I'm just like that. So when we do have daycare, you know, kids, I, there's been a, days where I drop off our seven-year-old at, at birth grade. I go straight from there into the mountains I fart around for, you know, four or five hours and then come back and then pick them up in my gear and then go home and I pick them up at, you know, whatever, three or whatever. And then I'm there all afternoon and I'm a, I'm a super present father. Um, the hard part is just like, like anything, um, like when there's weeks where there's no childcare, like right now between Christmas and New Year's, but that's kind of normal for anyone who's working. So the, the thing that I've had to kind of manage with my wife as we've chatted about it is like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to treat it like a job. So it's not like I can't take anything off unless I'm, I'm sick or something. But so we just kind of treat it like, yeah, okay. Yeah, babe. It's the 27th. I got, I got four hours today. I got to do two hours of intervals, two hours of low heart rate. I'm going to do this uh, podcast with Dylan. Um, and then I'm going to go out for four hours and then I'll meet you guys for lunch and I'll be back. Uh, whereas, you know, that's still a major luxury. A lot of people have to go to work this week and they don't have childcare. And so how do they even manage that? So I think we're in a super fortunate situation um, to be able to kind of do that. And now you mentioned running your company, you also had another company that you pitched on Shark Tank. So I want to talk about that experience a little bit because I saw that kind of prepping for this interview and doing some of the research. Um, you've been able to be a now potential pro athlete, potentially in the next couple months, which is an insane turnaround, but not many people can say that they're pro athlete and also on Shark Tank and also owning these businesses. So can you kind of talk a little bit about your experience, obviously on Shark Tank and pitching the Morning Head company, which great name, great tagline, yeah. but also a little bit about kind of managing your own company and what kind of similarities that has in athletics. Yeah. Um, also, I, I was working for, uh, you know, just kind of like in a normal job. I was the international sales manager for a company for like seven years and I just really wanted to start something. Always had invention ideas. Um, asked my wife, like, hey, can I quit my job to start a company? And she's like, absolutely not. She's like the real realist. I'm the, the dreamer. Um, but we basically figured out that if we can reduce our monthly expenses by like $2,500 a month, then, you know, we could live off her salary. So all my kind of, I was on, I was a sales manager. So all my commission checks we put into her student loans, my student loans, both of our cars, I redid our heating system in our house, like myself, 
uh, switched us to mini splits from oil, did kind of all these little things to reduce our expenses. It was like, okay, I can kind of do this now. Um, made this product that uh, basically cures bedhead, used the sexual innuendo in the name called Morning Head. And it wasn't my life's work, but it was like a fun thing. I wanted to learn how to like make a website, get good at online conversion rate optimization, um, understand um, how to kind of get things to go like viral on the internet. Made this thing, made a video, and then it goes like mini viral on Reddit. And then Shark Tank reaches out and I'm like, oh my God, like this is not my life's work. Like I, I have so much larger ideas in my head. This was a fun thing I made on the side through on Kickstarter. And they're like, we think you'd be great. I'm like, oh my God. So, so then I go, I go on and uh, yeah, it was, it was an amazing experience. Like had a really great time doing it. Um, I think I'm outside of the seven years. So I think I can talk about it. Like I was basically, it was on the gag order for a long time, but basically it's uh, it was, it was a great experience. The, the charts are like super nice. Listen, they edited it up to kind of make it sort of, seem however they're going to make it. Um, but what I can say is like, it was a super fun experience. The sharks are like super chill. They're super smart. I was in there for like an hour. They edited it down to like eight or 10 minutes or something. Um, didn't get a deal, but then went on and ended up like meeting up with Mark Cuban a year later or two years later about our company uh, when we were about to take in like a big funding round. And we hung out for like an hour and 45 minutes uh, in the Ritz-Carlton when the Mavs were playing the Celtics. It was super chill. Um, and we kind of kept in touch a little bit. So he's, uh, he kind of, you know, is a super chill guy as well. Um, but yeah, then we started the, the, like my best buddy started the Fair Harbor company with his brother. I joined on like a year in, uh, to kind of grow it from a sales standpoint. Um, and so that's kind of how I joined in there and basically helped grow it to, I think like 300 employees when we sold it to booking.com Then I took over as CEO. We grew it to like, I think around 550, 600 employees. Um, and so that company was like a software company for activity companies, whale watches, walking tours, Segway tours, double mountain bike rental. And that is the largest uh, company for that in the world. Um, and, you know, similarities to sport. I mean, especially in the sales side is it reminded me a lot of, you know, playing American football and kind of getting pumped up and thinking about, you know, the weekly cycle of like, okay, we got something coming up, you know, at the end of the week, here's how we're going to do it. You know, working backwards from where you want to be. Um, also working on keeping the team motivated, you know, understanding how difficult everything can be on a daily basis. Uh, there's a lot of similarities to what I'm doing now. I mean, remember working with the sales team in, in, Needham, Massachusetts, and just like being able to empathize with how difficult it was on a day in and day out basis. And I always kind of thought of that little meme where you see like a, what's the thing, like a leader versus a boss, maybe. And it's like the boss is like whipping the people in front of him and the leader's like pulling them. That's how I always kind of thought about it. Like, let's go, we're going to do this together. And, you know, just being like kind to one another, where as opposed to like being one of those leaders or coaches who's like you know gotta get it done no matter what like get it done like w without seeing the other side the human element for example you know if we were supposed to make 50 calls a day and like it took people weren't feeling it or like we just got a huge um 
like hot, early hot day in April and everyone who wants to go to the beach, it's like, oh, well, let's get creative. Let's think about how we can hit our quota on Thursday so we can take Friday off. Let's do it. You know, something like that. And it's similar to, to training, um, reading the book, The Uphill Athlete, talking with my coach. Uh, basically, like, the biggest way you can mess things up in an in endurance sport or training is through overtraining or, you know, fatigue, which is, it's the line you got to da- balance. You know, you want to get as close to that as possible. So, for example, you know, if I'm at 20 hours a week, I'm really sort of feel it. And then all of a sudden, like I start getting, I'm not eating enough. So my, my, my glycogen stores are dropping. I might wake up and just like, I can't even run. I can't, it's just my body, my mind starts to go and you have to be able to recognize stuff like that. If you start to feel a little sick, you really shouldn't work out because four hours of exercise really, if you got to think about the systems in your body, they're devoting all this energy towards towards, you know, the running or the skinning and it doesn't give the energy towards getting better. And then all of a sudden you're like super sick on a little, you know, sniffly nose. So it's having that foresight, knowing your body to kind of be like, okay, like I'm going to be kind to myself today. I have a little, I'm feeling a little sick. I really want to get this work done and run or or skin, but I'm going to take, I'm going to do the hard thing and take the day off sleep as much as I can so that tomorrow I'm ready to rock. Um, because the worst thing you can do is like train through sickness. And the next thing you know, you're really sick and you're sick for like 10 days. And then you could have taken one day off or two days off, but now you got to take 10 days off. So it was a little ramble there. It meandered a little bit, but <laughs> no, it's good. And it really there. I'd imagine would be those kind of overlaps where, you know, being good to yourself and also kind of putting that devotion in, but knowing where to kind of work-life balance and a lot of stuff. But one thing you noticed there that honestly, I guess, would be a really good carryover between all the projects you've had, whether it be in business or now with Schemo is getting things viral. Obviously, that is how I was able to connect with you and see your stuff on TikTok. You're able to get the traction with Morninghead and even with stuff leading Fair Harbor. So I guess my question for you is we are in a day and age where if you can get viral, if you can create engagement and impressions, that usually converts into something, whether that be fiscally or whether that be you end up gaining so much of attraction that you can really do a lot of amazing things. So how, what is your, from your experience, your secret to getting things to go viral and then getting that conversion rate up? Yeah, sweet. Well, a lot of the the nuance is going to depend on the platform. Um, Reddit versus the only ones I really understand are Reddit and TikTok now um i'm starting to get instagram as well tiktok reels or instagram reels are kind of like tiktok so those are the ones i know i don't really understand uh youtube yet i've never really dabbled in there but to talk about just reddit um tiktok and instagram the key is really understanding the user so uh, you gotta always think about who the other person is on the other end of the phone or the computer um So, you know, you see this a lot in in different marketing podcasts or, you know, tutorials is just like, you you just think about who that target demographic is and you can even almost assign him a name. Okay, this is, okay, Jimmy, he's like, for me, I'll do the one for Dad Bod Goes Pro. Okay, it's like Jimmy Peterson, he's 36 years old. He was the star quarterback in high school. 
Um, he works really hard in finance. So like he's in like FP&A. He is a little overweight. He's probably, you know, six feet tall. He's now 235 pounds. Um, he tries exercising every once in a while, has similar thoughts of me. He's got kids. Things are getting in the way. He's going to maybe try to uh, run a 10K or train for like a marathon. You know, th- I kind of really think about who this person is that would find this story interesting. The other thing is like not being delusional. Like a lot of times I went the whole first eight months, I didn't put anything on social media about it. This was like my secret little thing. And I kept thinking, you know, who really finds this interesting? I haven't done anything yet. I get it. If I like won a gold medal at 41, that's super interesting. Netflix documentary. That's cool. People want to see that. What am I? I haven't done anything. I'm just like a talking head, like who's talking about himself. It's like, overweight guy it's like he's not interesting but then as i talk to friends and family people are like you know dude like i don't know this is pretty interesting like i I like i'd follow this journey like there's a lot of cool things like on tiktok about like a guy who's like a lumberjack and you follow his story it's like okay so then i just got on tiktok a year ago started just like really trying to understand that user and understand what what was interesting to me so once you understand the user and you know exactly who you're going for, because for example, the worst thing you can do on Reddit is try to be a marketing shill. Someone who's like, hey, Reddit, do this. The Reddit community will just pounce on you. It's like, get out of here. You don't get me. You don't understand it. Well, first of all, my Reddit accounts have like 10 or 11 years of street cred on them. That doesn't even matter. It's more just you, you have to give to the community. No one gives a crap who you are or what you're doing. You, you don't deserve anything. The social, you know, currency is entertainment or is this interesting for people? So, for example, like I could have taken an angle of like, sometimes I do, I give some tips on zone two endurance training. I'm giving something that's interesting to them or following a story, like a personal interest story, like a body transformation um, people find those sorts of stories interesting. So you got to kind of find out who you are, what is your story, and, and what do they want to see about it. Um, with the morning head thing, that was more like a cool product, but then I kind of emulated the Dollar Shave Club guy. So I, I called Dollar Shave Club. I forget his name, but super funny guy. He was like a stand-up or improv comedian. I, I used to do stand-up, so I kind of like emulated him a little bit, got on the phone with him, and then I just kind of like made a funny morning head video really started to understand the, the, you know, the Reddit community and how I could ever post a product without them annihilating me and like hating me. So figuring that sort of thing out. Um, and then it's just like little things like, just like, you know, my parents were journalists. Like it's like getting a, a, a hook in the lead. You got to have a lead in your lead. You got to have a hook. Like people are going to check things for like a second, whether it's a headline or the first two seconds of a video are you letting people know what this is going to be about and whether they should keep watching, you know, um, it can't just be like a big explosion, which catches their attention, but then they're like, what's after that explosion. So, you know, just, it's really similar to like what Google does. Google in search engine optimization is trying to match searches with websites and give you the best website based on that search. So it's the same thing. Like you're trying to find that Jimmy Peterson 
he's trying to find you. There's someone out there, you know, to relate it to you. Like there's someone out there that, that finds Dylan Price's stuff interesting who has never heard of you. Who is that person and how do you find them and how do you let them know who you are and what your thing is? Um, so it's like, I just obsess about who the other person is on the other end of the phone or the, the computer to craft the message and then, and then it will come as long as it's interesting. That's really cool. That's very cool. And obviously has helped you in a lot of ways with really everything and every endeavor you've taken on so far. So you've, you're kind of a jack of all trades. You just mentioned now you do stand up or you have done stand up too. You've got the secret to kind of figuring out how to get engagement rates up. You're doing the schemo thing, chasing being a pro athlete, CEO of a bunch of companies, doing all this work. When it's all said and done, Max, what do you want your legacy to have been? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, really just like be a good father, husband, and friend. Um, I think that's the most important thing. Um, this is all just kind of like, at this point, like fun and sport, and it kind of gives me energy. So that's how I keep myself sane. But at the end of the day, it's like, I would love it if everyone's like, wow, he's a great dad. Like his kids like are so happy. They have such a great relationship with him. Same thing with my wife. Oh, just like such a great guy. Like, and then a great friend, like, oh, he's, you know, helps his friends or selfless or this and that. Um, and part of the schema thing is, is also that, like, I want to show my kids that, um, cause I, you know, I work backwards from when they're like in college and they're like, Oh, what does your dad do? And they can like, Oh, you know, he like, you know, used to like do something. I don't know. He used to like do a software thing or something. And the, I don't know. He's just like drinks a ton of beer and like plays golf all day. Like that's like my worst nightmare. But if it's like, Oh, you know, he does X, Y, and Z. That's kind of it's partially why I'm doing what I'm doing just to set a good example for them that like, you know, just showing them to how to chase a goal. Um, even if you have a low, low chance of it, but in terms of a legacy, yeah, it's more, it's all about family and, and I guess friends. Um, but yeah, I don't care much, much past that. That's awesome. That's a very good perspective. It's almost like everything's a side quest to just kind of add towards that one big goal. Pretty cool. Um, way of thinking about things. And then my last question for you that I ask everybody who comes on this podcast and thank you for coming on this podcast and giving so much insight in a lot of different outlets, whether it be social media, everything you've done, and obviously Schemo. Uh, what kind of, this sounds so weird of a transition here, but if you could be any kind of boat, what boat would you be and why? Hmm. <laughs> I could be a boat. I mean, maybe just like, I guess I'd be like a glass bottom boat. Um, with, Fair Har with Fair Harbor, we worked with some glass bottom boat companies. So I learned about what these are. They, you know, where the bottom is glass and you can kind of see underneath. So you can see all the fish and the wildlife and, and everything underneath. So I don't know. But not only can you be a boat to kind of take you around and look at cool sights above the water. But if you can also kind of see what's going on underneath, um, I think that'd be a cool boat to be, to be able to give that to, to my riders, my passengers who are standing on my stomach 
uh, they could see right through me and, and see not only what's above them, but what's below them too. That's really cool. That's I've never heard that answer before, and that's I've never thought about the idea of being able to see all of that as you kind of go through because you think so much about what you're seeing above, but to think of what's unexplored. I mean, the ocean and the water is some of the most unexplored parts. So very cool, very cool answer. Probably one of the uh, more unique ones I've ever received. Still doesn't beat a guy who said he was going to be a box boat and just float around in a box all day. But uh, shout out to Clint Hoggs on that one. But yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to do this today. Do you want to plug your social medias, the Dad Bod Goes Pro account, and uh, really everything you're doing? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Just uh, Dad Bod Goes Pro on Instagram and TikTok is what main two things um, I'm doing right now and yeah but thanks thanks so much Dylan this has been great um, you know really great questions really engaging and super fun to, to jam with you over the last hour well thank you very much and once again Max thanks for coming on you're always welcome best of luck to you in the competitions you have coming up and hopefully uh, the next time you and I talk for a podcast we're talking about your success and how you end up uh, becoming an Olympian sounds good let's do it baby <laughs> Thank you to Liquid IV, the presenting sponsor of Ambitious with Dylan Price. Liquid IV is my and so many's go-to hydration and refueling supplement. Liquid IV is very simple to use. You just open it up, pop it in a bottle of water, and you are set to go. My favorite flavor has got to be lemon-lime. It helps me with my active lifestyle. I use it pretty much every day. helps me get going, get that extra boost you need. It's really good for you, really easy to use, doesn't have any caffeine in it, all natural substances that will help you refuel, rehydrate, and get ready to take on whatever life brings to you. So check out liquidiv.com, Liquid IV on all their socials, and get yourself some Liquid IV today. My thanks again to Max Valverde for coming on. It was a true pleasure to talk to him a few months ago and really excited that we were able to share this conversation and hopefully help grow the sport of Schemo that much more. It's really cool to hear about. Um, I've definitely been checking it out a lot more since Max and I's convo and really excited to see all the success that Max continues to have in the sport and also how the sport continues to grow. So thanks again to Max. He's an incredibly talented businessman, athlete, father, and uh, it was really cool to talk to him both on air and then off as well. So kudos to Max and all he is doing and kudos to you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. Uh, can't appreciate it or explain how much I appreciate it uh, enough. And uh, thank you for always consuming this ambitious with Dylan Price content and hoping to talk to you a little more soon. And as always, if you want to follow more ambitious with Dylan Price content, go to at ambitious podcast on Instagram, Twitter, ambitious with DP and YouTube Dylan Price. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your week.